Well, that means if I buy a hundred dollar Canadian listed item, I'm paying like what, 60, 66 bucks? Something like 66 bucks US or somewhere around there? Uh, I have a liber liberal arts degree, Sam. You're asking. Yeah, that. yeah. I'm just pretending I know math. There you go. <laughs> what will e-commerce look like when the pandemic is over? What does fast shipping mean anymore? And does anyone actually like returns? That's some of what we're going to figure out. This is BoxCast, a conversation about current events, culture, and e-commerce logistics. From Pitney Bowes. All right. Thanks for joining us, folks. Today, we have got a very, very cool topic lined up. This is about geopolitical landscape. This is about uh, the, the state of e-commerce in North America, maybe about uh, consumer mindsets across borders, uh, any of those things, all of those things. I've got our in-house brain trust. Uh, I've got Sam Coro. I've got Stacey Schaefer, both longstanding, very, very popular folks uh, on the podcast back by popular demand, in fact, and together at the same time, which, I don't know, stars crossed. It's it's a very, very uh, unique opportunity. So Sam, Stacy, thanks for jumping on. I really appreciate your time. VJ, it's a pleasure. Glad to be back. I was getting a little bit sad that I wasn't on the last couple, but it's all good. I get it. It, it was it was not on purpose. I know, I know. I'm kidding. And I'm so happy to be doing this with Stacy, who's the other longstanding vet, and this should be good. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks, VJ. I am excited to talk with you both. I feel like we always have fun conversations about these types of topics. 100%. 100%. All right, so let's dive in. We're going to try to keep this to about 30 minutes. But since we've never done a podcast in 30 minutes, good freaking luck. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right, so what we're going to talk about first is the attitudes of Canadian consumers towards buying from the U.S. and cross-border in general. I'm going to run through some stats. I'm looking at some stats. Sam and Stacey are looking at these stats. The only people who aren't looking at these stats are, are the folks listening. So sorry, uh, we won't have a visual up while you're listening, but we'll, I'm sure we'll provide some links to some of our most recent content on this topic in the show notes. So click on the show notes links if uh, you want to dive in deeper. The first thing that we asked about, and we did a consumer survey, this was uh, in February for uh, the Canadian Consumer Survey. And we asked, the first question was, compared to last year, how often are you buying products online from another country, any other country, and having the product shipped to your home? So in other words, a cross-border transaction, cross-border e-commerce transaction, direct to consumer, so shipping a small parcel across borders. 29% of Canadian consumers said that they were shopping cross-border more often. 23% said less often. That's a net 6% difference. About half of consumers have not changed in their, their cross-border buying behavior in the last year. Now, Sam, you are, last I checked my notes, still in Canada. And uh, what are you seeing on, on that side of the border from a cross-border consumption standpoint? So yes, I still am in Canada when I can be, that is. Uh, this is a really interesting perspective from the data standpoint. And if time allows, I, just, I mean, we can go into a lot of different angles here, but this looks about right. I can speak with experience here. I'm not surprised by the more often piece. I'm not surprised by the plus 6%. 
One of the reasons for that is because we all know about the supply chain issues that we've experienced, all of us, no matter whether you're in the U.S. or Canada or elsewhere. Uh, but the, the reality is, in some cases, some of the shelves are empty and they're still empty today. So as a consumer looking for specific type of product, specific brand, specific type of denim, specific shoe, whatever the case is, if you can't find it in a department store or in a local shop, the only alternative is to look cross-border. So I, again, I'm not surprised at all. My wife has definitely purchased more cross-border versus previously and myself as well. In fact, I've actually ordered a lot of marketplace stuff through international marketplaces because I just cannot find the inventory here in Canada. Uh, so this, it, it's pretty bang on, VJ, from a from a data perspective, and I'm not surprised at all by these metrics. And and Sam, in your experience, I mean, uh, you mentioned the inventory issues. Uh, how much more exacerbated is the inventory challenge in Canada, given that traversing the country with goods is is a, is a lot more challenging than the U.S. There are fewer ports to to bring goods in. Uh, a lot of the I assume a lot of the products come from uh, get imported in the U.S. and then and then transported into Canada. What's your uh, view or, or experience there? Yeah, you're right. All of the above. I mean, we got the major ports over on the west coast in Vancouver. To your point, though, a lot of the stuff that enters the country is either coming through one of the uh, southern U.S. points on the west, Los Angeles, etc., and then they make their way up and then traverse across the country. We've also got the large port in Montreal on the Saint Lawrence Seaway, so that is a vital corridor here. But with with anything that's or with with all of the things that have happened in the last twelve to eighteen months, there there's pressure there. Not pressure in in terms of the the routes being clogged. It's just there's not enough inventory, and when the inventory does arrive, it gets distributed very quickly and gets consumed very quickly. You know, a couple of podcasts ago, I, I don't recall if, if it was a podcast or a client conversation. Is, is that how we're measuring time now, Sam? Like number of podcasts? Because well, yeah, that's yeah, okay but, with me. That's fine. No, no, it's perfectly fine. It's just you know these things that I, I mean they're in my heart, so I remember them all day, BJ. <laughs> um, but I was having a conversation around. One of the shifts that I was seeing, so for example, going into a grocery store, there used to be lineups, and then all of a sudden the lineups started to appear at the dollar stores because the dollar stores had inventory, everything was cheaper. Well, guess what? My daughter just had a birthday party. My wife went to the dollar store. The shelves were empty. I mean, not empty to the point that there was nothing to buy, but empty relative to what you would typically see in a dollar store. I mean, so even even dollar items and 50 cent tchotchkes are not making their way here. And to your point, VJ, I think it's it, it's it's heightened by the fact that we're a very wide country. Uh, the, the logistics network is not as robust as it is in the U.S. Um, and it just takes a lot longer for things to go from east to west and west to east and at a much higher cost, mind you. But yeah, absolutely need to factor in. I mean, one of the other stats we've gotten, and, and Stacey, I'd love to get your reaction to this, is... 35% of Canadian consumers say that they're buying cross-border at least once per month. That's got to be fed by some of this supply chain disruption. But it's also, you know, if, if you could talk a little bit about, this is something we see every year, though. Like Canadian consumers make up you know, the larger, largest proportion of, of buyers of, of U.S. goods cross-border. What's, uh, what's your view there? Yeah, I feel like... Canada is a country where they're they're very comfortable buying from the U.S., for example. They're very comfortable buying, Sam just mentioned it, from multiple marketplaces. So I feel like that comfort level 
will kind of always come through. And I mean, once once per month, it's, it's pretty common to buy anything. But to be to say that a third of the population buys cross border once per month, I, I wonder how much is intentional versus accidental, which I think we often associate with when a, a US consumer buys cross border. But I, I'd say just people are looking for wherever they can buy what they need. There's probably still a little bit of leftover, you know, buying online versus going in stores just leftover from the pandemic new habits being created as well. But I would I would be interested in how many of those people just, you know, they buy online more than they buy in stores. And are they intentionally buying cross border? And are they buying from the US retailers, which I'm sure we have that stat on if they're buying from the US versus where. But Sam, I would have also thought that maybe the the currency impact of like, for example, the US dollar, how it is against the Canadian dollar, if that affects, I would have thought maybe less people would have bought online cross-border than they did a year ago, just because of that. Yeah, listen, you're you're bang on. Again, I love using bang on. Um, (laughs) Currency definitely hurts conversion. However, when you want something or you need something to, to your point, if it's not available, even a couple yeah. of fluctuation uh, points of fluctuation on the currency conversion are not going to make a difference. Now, when you're looking at a higher value uh, kind of uh, want item versus a need item, then yeah, I could definitely see people being swayed away from the purchase uh, because of currency conversion. And you know, don't forget too that this was the, the data here is from back in February. We really started to see an acceleration of the disparity between the U.S. and Canadian dollar in the last couple of months. You know, maybe three months or so. So I'd, I'd be reckoned to think that if you, re, you know, VJF Box reran this same set of questions at, at the current time, the numbers would probably change a little bit, just given what we've seen with the currency conversion of late. 100%. Yeah, just one other thing, Stacey, you were kind of going there. The other piece is just the selection of, of, of items. Even U.S. retailers that are situated in Canada, in many cases, they do not carry their full assortment of SKUs in the Canadian stores or in the Canadian distribution centers. So an individual, you know, I'm going to use, um, I don't pick Nordstrom as an example. You know, Nordstrom, obviously, you know, situated in the U.S., they've also got stores here in Canada. But there might be that pair of shoes that they're just not available in Canada. So you have no choice but to buy cross-border, whether that's from the U.S. or from some other market. It's it's interesting. So you, you guys mentioned the the exchange rate while you were talking. I, I mean, I was totally paying attention, but I was also looking up the exchange rate on on Google. Um, so I'm looking at it for the last 12 months. It's it's at a dollar uh, thirty Canadian to uh, to a single dollar US. That sucks, by the way, as of today. It sucks, but go ahead. <laughs> but 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 you know to put it in perspective. The lowest that exchange rate has been in the last 12 months is $1.23 Canadian. So we're talking about a differential of about seven cents. You guys use cents, right, Sam? It's not yes, we do. <laughs> we do. So, but it's not, a, it's not a huge swing in the last 12 months. There have been huge fluctuations, right? It has gone from like the last time it was $1.23 Canadian for $1 US was in October of last year. So that was pre-peak. So since peak, it's been fluctuating up to about a dollar thirty, and then back down. So I'd say it's averaging right at about a dollar twenty-six or so. But it's on up, it's upward trajectory. If you averaged it out, the trend line is going up. Obviously, not as steep, I would say, as versus uh, the euro or the pound or other other international currencies, um, but but still increasing 
to a noticeable degree. True, but think of this as well. A 7% shift between October and now, that's seven bucks in every $100. Someone buying $500, that's an additional $35 that they're spending, not to mention that you then pay tax on that additional 35 bucks. And we're not even talking about shipping because shipping is is the same, right? If if we're gonna charge $5 for shipping today, it's gonna be $6 tomorrow because of currency fluctuation. So when you add it all up, I mean, 7% doesn't sound like a lot, but again, $500 item, it's $35 more expensive. And then where I live, it's 13% tax. So add 13% to the 35, right? Not to mention the 13% you're adding on the original 500. And, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a, an insanely high dollar value that you're being asked to pay for to get a good across the country. That's fair. That's fair. Now, that's a good segue into the next set of questions we asked Canadian consumers. And I want to get you guys to, to react to, to each of the top reasons why Canadian consumers abandoned a shopping cart from a U.S. merchant in a cross-border transaction. So this goes, Stacey, you were pointing out, like, how much of this is intentional versus unintentional? Okay, so let's let's just put the blinders on and focus on the intentional transactions. And amongst those intentional transactions, how often did you abandon cart from a U.S. merchant for these reasons? Okay, so number one reason was... And this is the same as uh, when we asked last year in 2021, number one reason, and you pointed it out, Sam, just a second ago, the shipping costs were too high. That makes me so mad, VJ. <laughs> that's, that's the one thing that a retailer can control. I mean, other than your product price, but you can control your shipping costs. 90% of people aren't going to buy from you because the shipping cost is too high. Like, reduce your price. I mean, I feel like that's, we've been saying the same thing for years for if you want to be successful in Canada, you have to treat them like they're, you know, have the cost perspective of someone in the US, which is an expectation of free shipping or $5 shipping, which I think we get into as well as what is low cost. But it's it's so, it makes me so angry. (laughs) And and rightfully so. So would (laughs) would you assume that this is driven by a lot of US merchants relying on express carriers? I think it's express carriers, perhaps it's making assumptions about what they're able to should be able to charge. I think it is a little bit more expensive, obviously, to ship to Canada, you're shipping further, let's say you're based, your your facility is you're fulfilled out of, you know, Cincinnati area, and you have to ship to Toronto and Vancouver, maybe you only have one shipping cost for the entire country. And you don't know how much it's going to be where it's going to go. And I think that people our shippers just take advantage of the fact that they think that they can charge more, honestly. I don't think that they think about free shipping into Canada. And I think it's just people aren't paying, retailers aren't paying attention as much as they should to their Canadian shoppers. I I could not agree more with Stacey. And, you know, just to add on to the infuriation piece, what makes me even matter than what Stacey make, what's makes Stacey mad is when, I mean, look, I get why they do it, but a lot of them, we'll try to turn it into a revenue generating, uh-huh. engine, right? So, you know, they'll have a rate card and they, they'll figure, hey, you know what? I've got a product that's not available there. They want it. They're going to pay double for shipping. And I'm going to pocket the 50% or I'm going to pocket the 100%, which is not right. And, and it does drive conversion away, unfortunately. So th- this is, you guys are talking about perception amongst U.S. merchants of how much should I subsidize? How much should I pass on to the consumer? What, sh- what should I price shipping at? So we've got some data on this. Let me kind of jump to this. So we, the question we asked was, okay, so assume you're buying something for $100 US. The, at the latest currency conversion, that's $129 Canadian, 45 cents. So let's assume that's your that's your 
basket value. How much would you pay for shipping in one to three days, four to six days, seven to 10 days, and let's say more than 10 days? I'm going to focus in on one to three versus four to six, because that's really the, you know, but beyond four to six, you know, seven to 10, you, you have a deferred option. That's that may be, you know, your DDU postal option. But from, from a private carrier, that four to six is a good sweet spot, especially for Canadians living around along the U.S. border who can probably make a shopping trip to the U.S. if, if they needed to or, or planned ahead enough. So let's look at the responses, right? So the average Canadian consumer says $14 is how much they'd be willing to pay for one to three days delivery from the U.S. $14 Canadian. That's about 11%. 11% of the order value, right? When you uh, baseline all this. I want to compare that to what U.S. consumers are willing to pay for an order from Canada. Right? Just, just to show you, like the from a U.S. merchant's perspective, it's, it's going to be biased towards U.S. sensibilities around cost of shipping, right? So one to three days from Canada to the U.S., a U.S. consumer is going to say, that's $16 to ship. And it's 16%, in other words, of that $100 basket size. That means that the U.S. consumer is willing to pay more for one to three day shipping. And it's the same is true for four to six day than the Canadian consumer. Now, I'm going to throw out a couple of hypotheses. You guys, certainly, Sam, tell me if I'm off my rocker. I think the first hypothesis is Canadian consumers shop cross-border more often and therefore comparison shop on the price of shipping. Hypothesis number one. Hypothesis number two is Canadian consumers are more likely to live along the border and are constantly weighing the value of shipping against how much is it going to cost me to just turn this into a shopping trip to the U.S. versus having to pay for shipping on this one order uh, for this one item. Sam, am I off or is that is that in line? No, you're in line. I would even add to it if I could on your first point, VJ, that I feel like you mentioned Canadian shippers buy more frequently online cross-border from the U.S., I would assume, than U.S. from Canada. So I, I think that U.S. sounds maybe very... I don't know, basic, but to a U.S. shopper, I think buying from Canada feels more like an experience. Like they're specifically buying from a Canadian brand, like a Lululemon or someone. And so maybe you're you're seeking that out, whereas it's almost more common for a, a Canadian shipper to buy from the U.S. And so your expectations are more along the lines of, I do this often, maybe I'm comparing off and I know the low, like the lower cost places to buy, I can find other places. Whereas if I'm a U.S., if I'm an American citizen or U.S., located in the U.S., I should say, buying from Canada, buying from a Canadian brand, I'm almost like seeking that out specifically. And it's, it's more exotic. Like sub, purchase, yeah. yeah. Like perhaps it's a sub hypothesis of your first one, <laughs> but that's what I was thinking as well. Absolutely. Are, are American goods just so commonplace, Sam, in Canada that shipping doesn't have the premium? It does. I mean, or, or said another way, I mean, $14 for one to three day shipping that feels almost domestic. It, it does. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned domestic. I was going to mention something before Stacey uh, provided that valuable piece of insight uh, and feedback. You know, I always like to make references to my dad. I'm going to make one right now. So my dad says to me maybe a couple months ago, he says, uh, hey, you know, if, if I lived in Saratoga, New York, and I ordered something from New York City, he goes, generally, what would the price be? 
to ship it from A to B? And I, I couldn't give him an exact answer, but what I kind of told him is I said, if the, the, the distance in terms of miles is within the same zone and I had to explain to him what a, what a zone was and then he got it, you know, then you would pay the same, right? Because every, everything in zone one, zone two, zone three, et cetera, it would, it would all be kind of tagged with the same price. So then he, he brought up a good point to me. He said, well, we live 100 kilometers from Buffalo. So if I ordered something from Buffalo, should I not pay the same amount as someone, you know, 100 miles to the south of Buffalo? And I said, you know what? You have a damn good point. Keeping in mind, of course, that you have to cross the border and all that, you know, there's all that jazz with it. But he did bring up a good point. He said, if a merchant is shipping a package 100 kilometers, or I guess whatever that is, is 68 miles due south of Buffalo and pays five bucks, then should it not cost the exact same amount of money to ship at 100 kilometers due north, which just happens to be in Canada? Eh, food for thought. Man, I think we're going to have your dad on the, on the podcast at some point. My dad's a legend and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, and that's the if even if that that it's a cons- a a very fair consumer standpoint, right? Because the complexity of crossing the border isn't taken isn't going to be taken into account. You're not going to get credit for that, right? Especially coming into Canada when so many other American goods are. Yeah, and they're not looking at it that way. They're looking at it. You know, you know, I'm here. I look at a map. They're there. I mean whether there's a border or not, they're just calculating the straight line distance and say, well, you know, it's pretty damn close. So why am I paying more or sometimes twice as much or three times as much, you know, to the point Stacy and I were making earlier on, on why it's more expensive in many cases to ship into Canada, not because it's necessarily more expensive, but because, you know, the prices are being inflated by the shippers or the merchants. So let's kind of, Put contextualize the the cost of shipping for a second. I, I talked. I kind of zeroed in on on uh, one to three days. Four to six days is uh, Canadian expectations are still like lower than American expectations around cross border shipping. Four to six days is about eight percent of order value for for Canadian consumers. About twelve percent, twelve and a half percent for U.S. consumers buying cross border. So it's still it's consistent right whether even if you're going to slower shipping but what is that value of speed right and what does fast shipping even mean what are you paying for when you're shelling out the 14 dollars canadian for one to three day shipping is that really a premium value so we we asked this different question because the number three reason why consumers abandon shopping carts was that the shipping estimate would take too long which stacy if you're mad about the cost i mean you, you must be throwing your laptop across the room at this point because <laughs> that's a solvable problem as well. It is a solvable problem. I'd say it's less, it's a little bit less in your control as a retailer because there's weather, there's trucks, there's needing drive, like there's things that can happen. But at the same time, you can, you're, as a retailer, you're deciding who your shipping providers are. You need, you should know there's other options than postal or whatever that take eight days. So I'd say it's it's in your control to make sure you're making choices that optimize what a consumer actually wants, where you're shipping to. But yeah, I mean, 85%, these are just crazy high numbers of, that means there's, you know, just that many people that have not optimized for can, shipping to Canadians yet, which is wild. Is wild. And I want to get, Sam, your reaction to this next stat. We looked, we asked Canadians, Canadian consumers in 2020, how they defined fast in 2021, we asked the same question. And then this year we asked the same question. And in successive surveys, that response has changed just a little bit. 
and, and it's not in the direction you would think. Uh, in 2020, the definition of fast was two days. That was the average response we got. And acceptable was about seven days. So between two and seven days, right, was like the band between fast and acceptable. 2021, that went from two days to three days. The, the max was still seven days, right, acceptable max. Um, but the, the fast slowed down a little bit, right? And then in this year, it went from three days to four days. Definition of fast was four days. So that has progressively gotten slower, whereas in the U.S. we're seeing kind of more of a reversion to not quite back to 2020 levels, but getting closer and maybe even inching towards 2019 levels in terms of expectations. It's actually seemed to get slower. Sam, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing on the ground in Canada in terms of the patients? And, and maybe this goes back to your supply chain disruption comment earlier. You know, I, I was actually going to go there. I think Canadians are rational people and they see what's going on around them. And to expect one and two day delivery, unless you're paying for some god awful premium service, it's just not going to happen. So so this 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 is right. In fact, a lot of the shops that we buy from as a household, it's very, very seldom now that you're seeing shipping promoted as three days or less, unless you really want to pay for it. Four days feels about right. Anything over six days. It starts to get into the, hey, why am I even paying for this territory? So, so this is right. And we talked about this on one of the previous podcasts. I'll say it again. Even the big A to Z company that shall remain nameless is also having issues getting stuff on their delivery promise date. So even when shopping from them, people are not expecting it to show up the next day as, as advertised or the day after. It's really becoming three, three, four, four, five, five, six days. It really is. That's, that's insane. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting. We asked this question about why do you why do you abandon shopping carts and this response about shipping taking too long. There's an increase of about 13% of consumers from last year to this year. 13% more consumers said that they were abandoning shopping carts because of uh, slow shipping quotes. And that, that def definitely speaks to what you're saying. So uh, last stat about Canada and then we'll... we'll we're, we're coming up on 30 minutes and we haven't gotten to the U.S. portion yet, which is classic BoxCast, right? But let's let's do one more on Canada and then we'll switch over to the U.S. We asked this question about what uh, last mile delivery companies do you trust? And, and I want to dig in on this uh, with you, Sam, on because, you know, in the U.S., perennially, the U.S. Postal Service gets ranked as one of the most trusted brands out there consistently but at the same time gets a lot of bad rap in terms of delays, especially around peak. And they're doing a ton of work on the postal side to address getting overwhelmed with volume around, around peak. They're changing their network design, redesigning the way their facilities operate, putting in a bunch of automation to address all of these. There's an interesting corollary on the, on the Canadian side. We asked this question, 70% of Canadian consumers said that they trust Canada Post. We know from Shipping to Canada through a variety of last mile carriers, the Canada Post can be one of the toughest from a reliability standpoint. Talk to us a little bit about what are perceptions around Canada Post? What are consumers' attitudes towards the Post in Canada? You love them and you hate them. Love them and hate them. They definitely have the ability to reach pretty much every address in the country, just like the USPS does in the US. But they come with their issues. Sometimes they're priced a little bit higher. Uh, they're a little bit rude, obnoxious, but ultimately they do deliver packages. 
interestingly, I'm looking at the metrics here and you have Purelator pop up in the top three. Purelator is, is actually owned by Canada Post. So you've got this, this interesting mix here of two of the top three that are basically the same company, same crown corporation. Um, yeah, that's, there's another player there as well uh, that does more like kind of B2B stuff. But um, not surprised. I mean, look, if you're living in the rural parts of the country, this is your only option, period. And if you live in, in urban areas like I do, there are several options. But uh, Canada Post, it's just like it's, it's like wearing the flag on your back. So people tend to gravitate towards it. You know, one one call out, and, and maybe Stacey, you had some color here. We, we work with 10 different last mile carriers into Canada. And, and the biggest reason is reliability and, and consistency of service in different parts of the country. Uh, interesting stat here, because they're so known for a consistent level of service in the U.S. Uh, UPS ranks fourth on the list of, of top trusted last mile carriers. That's that's a very much a role reversal from, from UPS role in the U.S. Talk, can you talk to us a little bit about the diversification of carriers into Canada and why that's so necessary? Hey, I, I think that's probably a little bit to just to do with familiarity. UPS and FedEx aren't as common in Canada as they are in the U.S. because there's other options, as you were alluding to. So when you think about how to get a package somewhere reliably in a country the size of Canada, it kind of makes logical sense that there might be these regional players that are able to offer a lower cost solution to a certain part of the country. And so a lot of carriers like we, Penny Bowes, are one where we'll say, okay, we know Canada Post delivers to every zip code, every post, excuse me, postal code, every PO box, but maybe there's another option in this area or this suburb of Montreal or this smaller location. And so from there, you're finding maybe better cost, maybe better service, or just better reliability overall. Of if there's a slowdown because of volume and with one carrier, you can easily flex or you want to be able to flex to another. And then if you can consolidate all those services under kind of one umbrella, like we do, then any shipper that uses you has that flexibility without having to actually do anything. So the main reason that we choose to identify different carriers to work with is what you just said, you know, cost cost flexibility so we can offer a more cost-effective offering to our clients, but then also just the flexibility of flexibility and reliability of, of different carriers that that allows you to have. I think everyone has these memories of being burned by Canada Post, which probably now like what, five years ago or so where they went on strike at peak, but people, like I just mentioned it in a, in a conversation with a, a retailer and they're like, oh yeah, we know what you're talking about. Like we don't want to have any risk. So people just want to eliminate risk. A lot of US retailers are also used to 2020 holiday now where they got burned by their big provider. And so just in general, they're wanting also more flexibility and more like more reliability and cons consistency. And if you can work with someone that gives you that and it's across different carriers, then you just you feel like you're, you have a better solution for your, sh for your shoppers than if you just relied on one carrier. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. So let's shift a little bit. We're at the 31 minute mark. Let's talk about U.S. So, Sam, this is your opportunity to rag on the stereotypical American consumer. Okay. Right. But um, from, from a Canadian perspective. Right. So we, I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast that about a third of Canadian consumers say that they buy from U.S. brands at least once a month at least once a month, right? You ask the same question of U.S. consumers and the ones that buy at least once a month 
is 17%, 17%, right? So it's, it's half, half as many proportion wise. And so we asked this follow-up question. I think this is kind of funny, kind of sad, kind of funny though, that we, we took the top, this is something like uh, 20, 25 Canadian brands uh, that sell online. And this is as ranked by the internet retailer, Digital Commerce 360 folks. And uh, out of their top 1,000, 2,000 brands, we took the top 25 that are based out of Canada and asked US consumers a simple question. Have you ever heard of this brand? If you have heard of it, have you purchased from them before? And the only, the only Canadian brand that got anywhere close to 50% of U.S. consumers, even being familiar, let alone purchased from, was Lululemon, which to me, like, shocking that 52% of Americans say that they've never heard of Lululemon, knowing that they were like one of the top three or four brands aside from Peloton to become popular during the work at home craze. Sam, does this surprise you or is this like you're chalking it up to those damn Americans again? So I'm going to, I'm trying to bite my tongue here, VJ. For those that are editing this, you might have to beep this one, but I call <laughs> on Lululemon and Goose. Okay. I, I really do. Listen, you, you know, you know, my work entails travel to various U.S. cities. I've been to literally, you know, every major U.S. city to see clients, et cetera, over the last God knows how many years. Every town I go to, every airport, every mall, every this, that, everyone's wearing Canada Goose. Everyone's wearing Lululemon. I, I just think that maybe they didn't hear the question right. They probably heard Lululemon and they probably heard That's what they heard. Because there's no way... These are two of the most prominent brands in the world, let alone North America. Everyone knows Lululemon. Everyone knows Canada Goose. Now, for the others on the list, VJ, although all the way down to Part Select, yeah, I could see that for sure. But Lululemon and, and Roots, or sorry, Canada Goose, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I just don't. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's very surprising. I mean, Lululemon, especially given you know, they made a bunch of acquisitions in the space, they've been growing tremendously thanks to you know, pandemics, um, fashion trends. It's, it's very surprising. Yes. Very, very surprising. And then Canada Goose being the other one, I know that you didn't mention they're number two on the list, but every cold city I've been to in the U S there's at least one person out of every five wearing something Canada Goose. It's crazy. Now, how much of that you think is, you know, a wholesale relationship for Canada Goose more so, I mean, Lululemon's more digitally or vertically integrated, you know, they've got their own stores. Canada Goose, a little less so. They sell more through retail partners. Is that right? Yeah, but it still doesn't change the fact that everyone knows Canada Goose. Maybe I'm biased because I'm Canadian. I'm sorry. I, th- I definitely, I think there might be some Northeast bias there, Sam. I don't think everyone knows. I mean, I live in Florida and I only know about Canada Goose because I used to live in New York. I would have no idea who that was otherwise. The little lemon thing is crazy to me. Right. There you go. Okay. Maybe, maybe you're right on the, on the Canada Goose piece. <laughs> maybe, but still. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but that so that's what I was saying about earlier though, VJ, where I feel like if you're buying from a Canadian and, and I would actually bet if you asked Lulu or if you asked the people that knew what Lululemon was, if they knew that Lululemon was Canadian, they would not have known that. <laughs> you should have asked the question, do you know what yoga pants are? And they'll all say yes, we do. Right. 
Yeah. Right. But so, but I do think that that is, if you're buying specifically Lululemon, you're already at a higher price point. You're potentially willing to pay for shipping because those, there's no other way to get Lululemon, like to get those fancy leggings. You kind of have to buy from them. So you're victim to whatever they're going to charge you for in terms of shipping. For sure. My, my 12 year old pretty much only buys from Lululemon and my wallet is like aching. I say she's very lucky, VJ. <laughs> yeah. I like treat myself with little lemon leggings. Listen, guys, <laughs> listen, VJ. I know that we're way over, but since you mentioned that, I, I got to say it. So my wife used to buy from one of the other companies that's on your list, Aritzia. Aritzia is also known for leggings. Now they're about half the cost of a pair of Lululemon leggings. And what I found was that she was going through multiple pairs of these things every year. So one day I said to her, well, why don't you try a pair of Lululemons? And she said, well, I don't want to spend that much money. It's crazy. I can buy two. I said, well, just try it. So I took her out and she ended up buying a couple pair. Several months later, she comes back to me and says, you know what? You were right because yes, I spent more money on the leggings the first time I bought them, but they're lasting three, four times as long. So in the long run, she's probably not going to buy as many pairs and she'll probably save money by buying Lululemon. So that is a... That is a, 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 a you know pick there for Lulu. Very good quality for sure. I mean, I don't personally know because I don't wear them, but at least what my my, my wife tells me they're 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 kick ass and and they're worth the money. So you know, there you go. There's my Lulu lemon story. That's a great one. That's a great. I, Spon- it, sponsorship. <laughs> this this podcast sponsored by. Um, <laughs> so I think you know what's also indicative, and again, I'm just going to draw comparisons back to our conversation about Canadian consumers is that there was no reason for card abandonment internationally for, for U.S. consumers that affected more than 29% of U.S. consumers, right? So the, the 29% said that they frequently abandon carts because they can find plenty of products domestically. Not, not a surprise coming from U.S. consumer. Every other reason, shipping costs, product price, slow shipping, everything else was a smaller proportion of consumers than that. Which implies, I think, going back to the thread that, that Stacey, you were mentioning earlier around just not intentionally buying from international retailers that often and kind of just tripping over the international transaction by accident more so than intentionally finding, seeking out, first off, don't even know who the Canadian retailers are to seek out. Right. As we, as we just pointed out. And then second, once you have found a retailer, not, not realizing it's a cross border transaction in many cases, because many of these retailers already have a U.S. presence or cater so well to the U.S. market. Or it's that they're intentionally buying and whatever it costs, they're just going to make that payment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, the, yeah. the, the, the 1% of U.S. consumers buying from yarn spirations. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I'll tell you this though: if if I lived in the U.S. today uh, and and was paid in American dollars and had an opportunity today to buy a product for Canadian retail listed price, like the price that I as a Canadian consumer pay, I would buy it because I'm getting a discount because of the currency conversion. I would literally buy it. So I'd be interested to see over time, BJ, if the number of transactions and propensity to abandon drops off as the as the US dollar becomes stronger and stronger against the Canadian dollar. Because that was a great call out. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you, what did we say it was today? A dollar thirty four? Well that means if I buy a hundred dollar Canadian listed item, I'm paying like what, sixty, sixty six bucks? Something like sixty six bucks US or somewhere around there? 
That, that I have a liberal arts degree, Sam. You're asking. Yeah, that. yeah. I'm just pretending I know math. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, that seems right. That seems right. Yeah, I'm just saying, right. So why wouldn't you buy cross border? Maybe maybe we need to do a better job with merchants to help them promote the fact that they sell in Canadian dollars, and maybe maybe that's the other angle. They're just not advertising enough. Yeah, it's it's discovery, right? It's, it's uh, practically what every U.S. digital merchant is struggling with today is customer acquisition. Right? How, how do you find them? All right, so I want to I want to end on I think an interesting note. We talk we talk about shipping. We talk about the speed of shipping. U.S. consumers, by the way, think of three days as fast from Canada, and a max of six days is acceptable from Canada. That's um, that's the 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 band of of transit time expectations that consumers have three to six days, somewhere in there. And so we ask this question. I, I think it's fascinating, um, but. You know, I'm boring, I think, especially if you ask my kids, I'm dull as hell. So what we, what we asked was, if you bought something on a Friday with a three-day shipping estimate, right? Your estimated delivery date is three days out, transit time, quote, at checkout. Let's assume that that doesn't include fulfillment time, right? So this is a pure shipping estimate, three days at checkout. We asked consumers in Canada and in the U.S., when do you expect that package to arrive? Right. And this is this is a question about what days of delivery. But you can't come out and ask what days of delivery because consumers kind of play games on surveys to some degree, right? And they're, they're trying to answer what they're, they're kind of recreating the scenario in their heads. And so instead, we put in a hypothetical scenario. Let's say you're buying on a Friday. The quote is three days. Do you think that's business days? Is that postal days or Calendar days. Well, you can't ask a consumer about postal days, right? So, so we ask, you know, when do you, what day do you expect it to arrive? Three days from Friday, right? Fifty-four percent of Canadians said Wednesday. They expect it to arrive on Wednesday, which means nothing happens over the weekend. Shipping happens on Monday, and the three day, the third day of delivery is that Wednesday, right? That's the expectation. Twenty-eight um, percent said Tuesday, and eighteen percent said Monday. U.S. consumers, by comparison, right? And this is, we didn't ask about cross-border or domestic. This is just, you know, if you get quoted three days, what does three days mean? 40%, uh, it's kind of a, a tie, right? 40% of U.S. consumers said Tuesday, 39% or 40% within the margin of error said Wednesday. So they're evenly split between Tuesday and Wednesday, whereas Canadian consumers are squarely on Wednesday. There's no shipping over the weekend. Saturday doesn't count. Sunday certainly doesn't count, right? Whereas U.S. consumers think of Saturday as a delivery day, and so it counts against the three-day estimate, and therefore roughly a little less than half of consumers said that Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, that's the three days of delivery. Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. And then another 40% said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's your three days. So I, I thought that was fascinating. Again, Ask my kids, I'm dull. What do you guys think? What, do you think that's, is that different than expectations? That such a difference in, in, is Saturday a delivery day or not between U.S. versus Canadian consumers? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting piece of information because of what it can, what you can do with it. So one thing that I find is it, it echoes Sam's point of Canadians are more understanding people. They're, they're giving us until the Wednesday to ship it. Or to receive it, but it also tells you, 
you could be setting up yourself for failure. If you just have a, a something called three-day shipping at checkout, your customer is going to start getting disappointed 39% of the, or 40% of the time on Tuesday if they're in the U.S. So it, it kind of, to me, leans in on maybe you should put a date there so that you're not setting yourself up for failure. You're not over de- or under-delivering, over-promising without even meaning to just because of people's interpretation of what three days means. So I thought that was really interesting. And then, but three, like three days is fast. Well, okay, well, is that th- Tuesday or Wednesday is three days of fast. So I think it's, I also am boring, but I also think that's interesting <laughs> because of kind of what you can do with the information, but then also the the, the difference between the U.S. and Canadian choppers. Stacey, I like that on the uh, setting expectations and not disappointing. I, yeah. I, I think you're onto something there for sure. And then VJ, just to provide a comment, prepare to have your dull mind blown. <laughs> but when I... When I read the question or the, you know, the statement, even before I looked at the results, my mind immediately said Wednesday as a Canadian. So I already said, oh, I'm like, oh, it's Wednesday. And then I was surprised to see Monday, Tuesday, because I said, like I said, you know, we are rational, understanding people for the most part. Now, here's the other thing, the other spin I'll put on this. If I'm ordering from that other company, you know which one I'm talking about, then it's a different perception. Because if they say two days or three days, then I include a Saturday. Because I know that they ship on that day. And sometimes they ship on, on the Sunday too. And I bet in the, U, in the U.S. it includes Sunday, right? So more, more often than not. And I bet if you divide this between urban, suburban, rural, you get different responses as well. Yeah. That's an interesting take. But I'm telling you, man, my mind went right to Wednesday, right away. Boom. It is the the idea is funny. So I I have a baby at home and I have to buy diapers. I realize we're about to run out. Like literally tomorrow we'll probably run out. I have my... A to Z order, you know, set up to come on the 11th. I'm like, well, shoot, what do I do between now and then? So I went on, I'm like, okay, well, if I can get it delivered tomorrow, then I'll order the diapers from online. If not, then I'll just go over to the grocery store or whatever and buy it. And I, if this were any other website, I would like three days, it's fine. I don't like to pay for shipping, I'll pay for free. But that other website still for me has made my expectation be like next day. And the delivery is two days. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't need it. From there, I'll just go to the grocery store and buy, pay $8 more out of principle to get it tomorrow or tonight. Yeah. If I need it. You got to go to box. You got to go back to box, box cast one. Cause I got burned really bad with the diapers and wipes. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, I did. So you just, you just struck a chord with me there, sis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys were using all kinds of stuff uh, around the house. It was a, it was a very dangerous <laughs> time at the Coiro household. Yeah. For sure. That's wild. All right, cool, guys. Uh, we are at time. No, we're actually se- uh, 17 minutes over time. So thank you. Thank you for upholding the reputation of BoxCast of never keeping within 30 minutes, uh, despite our, our team's best best hopes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. The, if, if you want to learn more, there's links in the show notes. There's also an awesome couple of episodes we've done with Sam and Stacy. separate episodes around cross-border expectations and Canadian consumer expectations going back earlier in the pandemic. This is our latest data, and we're coming up with some new data here in a couple of months. So stay tuned for that and uh, more to come on BoxCast in just a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.